Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Chapter 13, Jesus is confronted with two cases of human suffering. I've titled this sermon, Why? Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we'll read right down through verse 9, come back and have some comments. Luke 13, beginning in verse 1, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood, watch this, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners? Underline that. Than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, unless you do what, saints? Repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were, said it again, worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you do what? Repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, then in verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, For three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Hack it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not after that, you can hack it down or cut it down. Saying, stop right there. Give me your attention. Were you with me in chapter 12, most of you? And Jesus, you know this, was giving them an in-your-face kind of message concerning the condition of people's hearts at his coming. And Jesus said, some would be prepared and consequently blessed, and others would be unprepared and consequently judged. And then Jesus rebuked them for failing to see the obvious prophetic signs. Chapter 12, verse 54, you can peruse there. Jesus said, you see the clouds coming, and you know it's going to rain, and you see the south wind or the sorakos. Coming, and you know it's going to be hot weather. Well, then in chapter 13, because saints, listen, don't you know that there were not, um, chapter and verse are not um, inspired of the Holy Spirit. So this is all one continuous conversation. Are you listening? This is one continuous conversation. Here in chapter 13 is the reaction of those who are standing there when Jesus gave the rebuke. And Jesus tells two stories of human suffering or disasters. Now, in this section, we're going to talk about two disasters. You got a pen? Two disasters. The first one is found in verse 1. They're talking about, go ahead and look at it. They're talking about the Galileans whose blood 
Pilate mingled with sacrifices. Now, what are they talking about, Rodney? Well, listen, historians and scholars really don't know. We learn from this text what we know about this text from a Jewish historian by the name of Flavius Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish man who was not a Christian, but he was a recorder of Jewish history. So now Josephus, when you understand the text in light of what Josephus was saying, Josephus tells us that there was a time when Pontius Pilate decided to improve the water system in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there was a temple, you know that. And the temple would offer sacrifices, you know that as well. And with the sacrifices, there would be a lot of blood. And because there was a lot of blood, they needed a lot of water to wash it away. They also needed a lot of water for ritual cleansing of the priest. They also needed a lot of water for drinking because the population in Jerusalem was growing. So Pilate decided to build an aqueduct from Hebron all the way down to Jerusalem. This aqueduct, listen, is still in Jerusalem today. We're going to Israel as a church. And... Um, I don't know, we have 40 or 50 people signed up thus far. It's still not too late if you'd like to join us. I think every Christian should take one trip to Israel in their life. Save up your money instead of going to Cancun for vacation. Amen. Say amen. Some of y'all like, you know, messed it up for me. Instead of going to the Virgin Islands or Puerto Rico or wherever it is you want to go. Listen, one time in your life, you need to go. If you're a Christian, you need to go to the Holy Land. You will learn so much about the Bible. The Bible will come alive to you. I've been to Israel five times. And every time I go, I learn something new. I learn something fresh. They say that one trip to Israel is equivalent to two years of Bible college. And it really is because as you look at the scriptures, you start studying things and you read things and you go, oh, man, I was there on the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus pulled out off of the shores of the Sea of Galilee and had a Bible study in the middle, middle of the Galilee, man, we were there. That's what I do every time I go to Israel. We take a boat off of the shores wherever we are around the Galilee and we, we take the boat out into the middle. The Galilee is very, very still. It looks like a sea of glass. We take the boat out to the middle turn the boat off and have some worship and a Bible study. It's so awesome. I just love it. When we go to Israel in January, we'll show you this aqueduct that was built by Pilate. And it goes, as I told you, from, the Hebron, from Hebron all the way down to Jerusalem. So there was no problem there. But the problem was Pilate used temple money and rather than Roman money to build this aqueduct. And because Pilate used temple money, these Galileans got mad and they protested. And as they protested, the Pilate's soldiers began to mingle among the crowd and they stabbed them and they killed them. Disaster number one. Disaster number two, if you're still tracking with me, you find it in verse four. Go ahead and peruse it in your Bibles, if you will. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they are worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem. Now, some versions say, do you think that they were worse debtors? So some scholars believe that the guys who built the aqueduct owed a lot of money, and they went to work for Pilate to pay off their debt. The aqueduct ended near Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, 
there was a tower called the Tower of Siloam. It is right near the Pool of Siloam. We will go there as well when we go to Jerusalem. And so this, this whole area, this tower, obviously, in history, fell and it killed them. Notice in verses 2 through 4 in your Bibles, in both scenarios, did you pick this up as we read it? In both scenarios, the question is asked, do you suppose that they are worse sinners? Jesus' response just gets right to the heart of the matter. Don't you love that about Jesus? He gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus doesn't deal with their theodicy. Theodicy? What's that, Rodney? Theodicy, listen, is a theological term that means, it speaks of the reconciling of a righteous God and the suffering in a sinful world. It could be said that theodicy is an attempt to justify the behavior of God. Well, Jesus doesn't deal with their theodicy. And Jesus doesn't try to justify God. He says, do you think that they are worse sinners? Or do you think that their death was only because they were sinners? And the answer is no. Now listen, suffering, trouble, perhaps you'll say amen to this. Suffering, trouble, trials, persecution, pain, sickness is not always the result of evil. And some people say that. They say, well, now, if you've got sickness in your life, anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've got sickness in your life or there's suffering in your life or there's pain in your life, then that must be a, a, a sign that something's wrong in your life or there's sin in your life or there's something evil in your life. Listen, suffering, trials, sickness, pain, if you have a cold, it doesn't mean you're evil. Can somebody say amen? If you have a cold, it doesn't mean you're evil. If you have sickness, it doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you're sick. It just means you're getting old. I don't know about y'all, but I find it more difficult every day to get out the bed. Pastor getting old. I remember I used to pop out the bed. Now I fall out the bed. You ever just wake up your morning so bad you just go poof? My dog come licking my face and I'm like, help me up, puppy, please. Suffering and sickness does not mean, you know, I think of Job. Job was a godly man. You know the story. He, God even bragged about him to Satan. Remember, Satan came before God, and God said, hey, devil, where you been? And he said, going to and fro throughout the whole earth. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. God said, he's blameless and upright. He loves me, and he hates evil. And right after that, Satan attacked Job and his family and his money and his health all in one day. I'm like, God, please do not brag on me to Satan. Please never. No, not ever. God's like, oh, yes, Job, 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 Job. Satan goes and attacks him. I'm like, God, please, I don't, I don't want that. Don't, don't brag on me to Satan. You know the story. And then Job's friends came to him and said, Job, man, you, you're evil, man. Something's wrong. You're a sinner, man. I mean, look, there's problems in your life. You're sick. you got boils and stuff all over your body. And Job looked at them and said, you are miserable friends. I don't know why I love that. Anybody got any miserable friends? I got some miserable friends. I'm miserable. Just a bummer, man. I call them basement people. Some of my friends are basement people. You say, oh, man, it's a beautiful day outside. And they go, yeah, well, it's going to rain. 
you're a miserable friend. And then Job's wife, well, you know the story. Well, Job's wife, she said, Job, you still hold fast to your integrity. Curse God and die. And Job said, you fool. Don't know why I like that either. I don't know why. Amen. Just because you have sickness, it doesn't mean that there is a problem in your life. I think of Paul the Apostle, who was a godly man, a man of faith. He had a thorn in his flesh. He was sick. He prayed three times for the sickness to be removed. And God said, my grace, anybody know? My grace is sufficient for you. You see, godly people suffer and ungodly people suffer. Why? Because of what theologians call common grace. Common grace? Common grace, you write that down. Common grace means that God gives the same benefit to believers and unbelievers. God reigns on the just, somebody help me, as well as the unjust. If a Christian and non-Christian plant corn, listen, the same sun and the rain will come down on both crops equally. If there's an earthquake or a hurricane, Christians will be affected like everyone else. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're exempt from evil. John chapter 16, verse 33, you know that verse. In this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Jesus says the issue is the world needs to repent. Isn't that an unpopular, not even heard word that much in the church today? When's the last time you heard a sermon on repent? You don't hear it very much nowadays. It's an unpopular word because people, if you tell people that they, that they have to repent, then that means they have to admit they've done something wrong. And folks don't like to admit they've done something wrong. Have you ever met somebody who they just cannot ever say they were wrong? Anybody mean by I? They just can't say it. I mean, you can say, look, man, just say you were wrong. It's okay. Say you were wrong. Just say it. Go ahead. Say it. Pound. Come on, man. Pound. Say it when you're sorry. Come on, man. Say you're wrong. I, I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. They can't even say it. They can't say they was wrong. Say you were wrong, man. I was wrong. No, wrong, 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 wrong. Oh, I was wrong. They can't say it. People don't want to admit they're wrong. People don't want to be told they're wrong. They don't want to be told that they're living the wrong way. Jesus says you need to repent. You take a note, you write this down. The word repent means to change your mind. It actually means to change your direction. It means to turn around and do a Yui. You are going that way. It means to turn around and go that way. It's the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. It means to turn around and go the other way, to change your mind, to change your thinking, to change your lifestyle. And don't confuse sorrow with repentance. Sorrow is an emotional remorse or grief. And plenty of people have that. Pastor Jeff Rudd heads up our prison ministry here. And if you ask the prisoners, are they sorry? Many will say, yeah, I'm sorry I got caught. Sorrow and repentance is different. Godly sorrow or repentance says, I'm sorry I hurt the heart of God and I will never do that again. And you can see the difference between sorrow and repentance between Judas and Peter. 
Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and he threw the money on the floor and he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And he went out and he committed suicide and he could have repented, but he didn't and he died. That was sorrow. Peter betrayed Jesus and he went out and he wept and it produced a change in Peter. One way leads to life and restoration. The other way leads to depression and suicide. And Jesus says the issue of the world is it needs to repent or perish. So they would say, well, what about that tower that fell on the 18? Or what about the blood that was mixed with the sacrifices? They're saying to Jesus, that's not fair. How come they died? Isn't it amazing how quickly people are to say that God's not fair? And it's also amazing when all the bad stuff in the world happens, people say that was God. Well, why did God let the hurricanes come to Haiti? Or the earthquakes come to Haiti. And why did God do that? And that's just not fair. And how could a loving God send people to hell? Anybody ever heard that? How can a loving God send people to hell? Listen, a loving God never sent anyone to hell. People send themselves to hell by their rejection of God. Does anybody understand, agree with that? God doesn't send folk to hell. Did you hear me? God does not send folk to hell. Folks send themselves to hell. He sent his son to die on the cross so they wouldn't have to go there. You see, that came from the Bible. Don't go there. That comes out of the Bible. Don't do it. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Jesus came into the world so you wouldn't have to go there. I'll wait while you clap your hands because that's the truth. That's the truth. People accuse God of not being fair. And people talk about, you know, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of men. And they talk about predestination. Predestination says that God has chosen some to be saved and some are never going to be saved. Well, listen, God chooses us, but we also have the responsibility to choose him. And they say it's not fair that God chose some or God ordained some or that God picked people to be saved. So then the question always arises, how do I know I'm picked? And I say to them, well, do you want to be saved? They say, no. I say, well, then you ain't picked. (laughs) Simple. You want to be saved? Yes. Well, then you're picked. Listen, if you leave today and you don't get saved, then you'll know you weren't picked. But here's the good news. God, listen, you love it. God wants everybody picked. Did you know that? He wants, I'm going to wait. It's true. It's true. He wants everybody picked, whoever will let them come. Anybody. He wants everybody picked. I got to agree with D.L. Moody who said this. He said, I'm sure glad the Lord picked me before I was born because I don't think he would have picked me after I'd done some living. (laughs) Anybody else? Anybody else? Don't lie. Raise your hand. Anybody else? You in church? Some of y'all ain't raising your hand. Didn't your mama tell you it ain't good to lie in church? God wouldn't, you know, God wouldn't have picked you if you'd done some living. It reminds me of this story of this young black kid in Memphis, Tennessee, who wanted to join his conservative fundamental church. And the elders asked him, he said, he said, they said, how did you get saved? And he answered, well, I did my part. God did his part. And the elders thought they had him. So they asked him, 
Well, what was your part and what was his part? And the boy replied, well, my part was sinning. I ran from God as fast as these rebellious legs would take me and my sinful heart would lead me. I ran from him, but you know, he done took out after me till he done run me down. (laughs) That's deep theology. That is deep theology. See, you know, some folks think they get deep theology. Well, Father, in thine sovereign will of thine predestination, eschatology, soteriology. People think, oh, that's deep, that's deep, man, you deep. You use all these big, deep words, everything ending with ology. Oh, that's deep. No, that's not deep. You know what's deep? What's deep is God done took out running after me and he done run me down. That's deep theology. If you can get that, you can get anything. Did you hear me? If you can get that, you can get anything. God came looking for you. You were not looking for him. Some people say, oh, I'm so glad you found God. That's so nice. You found God. I'm like, no, 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 no. Somebody told me that one time. I said, no, 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 I didn't find God. Because two things. Number one, I wasn't looking for him. And number two, he wasn't lost. (laughs) I'm just trying to keep it simple. He wasn't lost. I didn't find God. God found me. He then took out after me, and he done run me down. And I've been caught for 27 years. You understand? Are you getting me? Are you getting me? That's all God. That's not you. So in our context, they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, that's not fair. How come they died and Jesus is turning it around and saying, how come you're still alive? Well, look at verse 6 through 9. We just read it. After the warning, unless you repent, you'll be likewise perish. Jesus uses a parable to illustrate a principle of God's judgment. And here are two principles. I want you to write them down. The first principle is God is looking for fruit. Verse 6, a man had a fig tree. Go ahead and look at it. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit. Now, remember I told you in the past, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In this parable, the man illustrates God who planted a fig tree in a vineyard. Now, figs were common and are common in Israel. They ate fresh figs off the tree. They dried them. You know, I think of figs. I think of fig newtons. I can't stand a fig newton. Are there any fellow Fig Newton haters in the room? I'll hate on Fig Newtons. I'm from Philly. Everybody in Philly like Fig Newtons. I don't like Fig Newtons. They're nasty. And if you like them, God still loves you. So this man was looking for fruit or figs on a tree for three years and nothing. Now, Leviticus 19, here's your homework. Leviticus 19 says, when Israel came into the land... They should plant fruit trees. The first three years, you were not to touch any of the fruit. But in the fourth year, give everything to God. And then in the fifth year, you can eat from the tree. So here in Luke 13, it could be four years has passed and the owner was waiting to eat in the fifth year. And after three years, the tree should be producing fruit, but nothing. So the keeper of the vineyard said, well, let's just cut it down. But the man said, 
wait one more year. In the meantime, let's put some manure around it. Let's dig around it and see what comes forth. Jesus is saying, even a tree, give it time to bear fruit. You just don't hack it down. When God, listen, sees no fruit in your life, he does not just hack you down. And you need to be glad about that. He does not just hack you down. Now, us, if we don't see fruit in somebody's life, we say hack them down. And Christian, Christians are, ooh, Christians tough. Christian folk tough. Y'all heard me? <laughs> Christian folks are tough, man. They're like, oh, I don't see any fruit in your life. Hack you down. Cut you down. Christians shoot the wounded. Boom. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.